0: Hi, I'm Breanne Bennis, and this is No End in Sight, a podcast about life with chronic illness. This week, I'm talking to Brianna Lane about chronic Lyme disease and PMDD, which stands for premenstrual dysphoric disorder. Conveniently enough, April is PMDD Awareness Month, so it's the perfect time for this story. Later in the episode, I mention a few different resources about chronic illness and accommodations, and you can find those links along with a transcript for this episode on the podcast website at noendinsight.co. Speaking of the transcript, this week's is particularly confusing because our names are only one letter apart, so I just want to apologize in advance for any uh, uncertainty in who is speaking if you're reading the transcript on the website. Before we start, here's my disclaimer. This podcast is not intended as a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Make sure you talk to your practitioner about any questions or symptoms. Okay, so um, tell me about your health as a kid. Uh, um, I as a as a young kid, I was I was
1: fairly healthy. Um, like lots of strep throat and ear infections and stuff like that. Um, but uh, m- my issues are related to my period and my menstrual cycle. So uh, it was basically from when I got my first period in sixth
0: grade, um, is when stuff started going wrong. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like hormones shifted and, and initially did you identify it as something being wrong to use your word? No, I, I, you don't know if it's,
1: yeah, you don't know if something's wrong until, until you, until you start talking to other people. Yeah. And and start figuring out, "Oh, it's not normal for me to cry every single day." <laughs> you know, like Yeah. It's not normal to be sleeping as much as I'm sleeping, you know. You don't you, it's it's a slow process to figure out what's normal and what's not. Yes. And um yeah. I think okay, so I'll kind of tell tell my story of how it all started because it, it wasn't really that wrong when I first started having my My period it was like maybe when I was in my late teens when I started um just experiencing huge uh uh, emotional shifts like like big time rage and off the charts PMS and it was only a few days right before my period and um and I thought that was just PMS that's just what PMS is and um and most of my life, other than that, was pretty normal. It was just like five days um, leading up to my period, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my period was really rough, you know, really bad cramps. Um, my mom reminded me that I always wanted to stay home sick. And she, you know, she would say, oh, it's just your period. It's fine.
0: Lots <laughs> you know? of people go to school or go to work uh, or whatever. Like, exactly. Yeah.
1: yeah. It's like uh, everybody that has period deals with this. It, so it's fine. Yeah. Just go. Um, and so I did. I gritted it, I gritted through it, and um, and then uh, and then I learned about PMDD, premenstrual dysphoric disorder, when I was um, in college, and it was probably some blog post or something. I don't even remember how I learned about it. Um, and this was bef- This was in college. It was it was 1998 for me,
0: and so, so this was early internet. To yeah. make one point yeah
1: exactly so it wasn't again easily very easily accessible information wasn't very easily accessible on weird stuff like this and no one was talking about it socially right um but I saw the diagnosis somewhere and and I met the, all their criteria and I was like I have that yeah. I know I have that and um and then it and then I couldn't I didn't get a diagnosis until two years ago and I'm I'm turning 39 really soon. Like that's that's crazy cakes.
0: (laughs) That's like 20 years after it sounds, if it was 98 ish. Yeah. Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, I, I knew I had it. Um, and I, um, I went to my general practitioner and and then, um, well, actually, I went to urgent care a couple times with cramps then.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And they're like, oh, it's OK. We'll prescribe you ibuprofen.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have a naproxen <laughs> what prescription for that. They were like, you're taking too much ibuprofen. Here's a different Ed said.
1: Yeah, exactly. And uh, like naproxen, it turns out I was allergic to naproxen. Ah. It's like, oh, then, then, okay, then let's give you um, aspirin or um, acetaminophen. And, yeah. oh, great, uh, nothing touches the pain right. at all. Um, and so, and that didn't even touch any of the emotional issues that I was going through. And so they put me on an antidepressant, which was fine, but still didn't touch the majority of my symptoms Mm -hmm. and so I was on an SSRI for years starting when I was 20 Mm -hmm. and then I switched SSRIs three different times perhaps Um, and I'm like this this isn't doing anything can we do something else and then they put me on an SSNRI that wasn't really doing anything Um, I finally got the diagnosis after maybe the
0: seventh or so doctor I saw and were they mostly um general practitioners or were you seeing like OBGYNs or endocr- endocrinologists I don't know why I have trouble with that word every time Endos. <laughs>
1: Endos. um no I saw um a couple general practitioners and uh and an OB mm-hmm. uh, maybe a couple OBs along the way like I went to Planned Parenthood a couple times mm-hmm. um for some birth control is another um, common um, treatment that uh, folks with PMDD get. Um, mm-hmm. And nothing, just nothing, nothing was helping. In a, and I knew that there were other paths to treatment mm-hmm. besides giving me a pill that I take every day or whatever it right. is. Um, but no one really believed me. I remember having one doctor look at me and say, well pmdd is really hard to diagnose so i'm just going to give you this instead like literally she sent that and yeah I, I, I mean it's a common story with chronic illness and mysterious illnesses it's like we don't get believed in like let's just do the simplest possible thing and yeah like no 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 it's really not hard to diagnose i know my body so well yeah and I, and i can tell you exactly what happens every day of the month for me yeah and and she, It. It was so disheartening. I think I went home and cried. Yeah, um, I bet. <laughs> and so, I'm having trouble like thinking staying it. Lin- linear. In no, that's thinking. okay. It's um, okay. And uh, so I, I finally ended up getting a diagnosis, and as years go went by, like. I was having more and more bad days a month, and
0: mm-hmm.
1: and less good days. But um, still, I,
0: were they still stacked together in a way that was like the time leading up to or the end of your cycle? Yeah,
1: absolutely. It's like luteal phase, like textbook mm-hmm. uh, PMDD, um, and it just it just kept getting more intense um, mm-hmm. as the time went by, mm-hmm. and um, and so I finally, I actually. The person who gave me my diagnosis. This is really interesting to me because I think, um, I think it could help some folks that are looking for diagnosis. As I went on to um, an online therapy situation, so
0: mm-hmm.
1: I could write to my therapist um, any any amount of times.
0: Yeah, it's like the the chat based ones. Uh, yeah, exactly. There's a couple. Yeah.
1: And depending on what service you have, like, they, they will get back to you five days a week or once a week or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I did the one that, where it was constant. And so she could actually, like, witness my cycle. Mm-hmm. So she's like, oh, I believe you now. <laughs> you yeah. Know? Like, oh, I see what you're doing, like, every day. It was yeah. like... It was...
0: Like, it day was 10, like I, was, I feel fine. Day 25, everything is a mess.
1: I'm a raging lunatic. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And so she, she could actually... See the timeline, and it wasn't just me going into the doctor on a good day and saying, "Hey, this happens," mm-hmm. or me going out uh, to a, a doctor on a bad day and thinking that I'm just crazy cakes. Right, and that this so, is you all the time. Right. Yeah. So she gave me my diagnosis, and I was really grateful. I was like, "Oh, finally, I got a diagnosis. This feels really affirming. This is great. I'm, yeah. you know," and. It, it, but it doesn't mean anything anymore. This was about two years ago, and mm. I'm like, uh, now I'm thinking back, and I was like, I already knew that. Why yeah. did I need a professional to tell me that I had this thing? Because with PMDD, it it doesn't have a, it has a treatment plan, but it's still that treatment plan is like throwing spaghetti at the wall kind of situation. It's mm-hmm. like. I'm still experimenting with what works and what doesn't work. And, Mm -hmm. um, and, and they still don't know exactly what PMDD is, like what causes it? Like some people think that it's a histamine response. Some people think it's a, um, it's like, well, a histamine response being like your body is almost allergic to your chemical,
0: uh, to your hormonal, like to the situation, maybe progesterone or something else that would be elevated at that time.
1: Exactly, yeah. and um, but you know progesterone therapy doesn't work for everybody either, so that's you know mm-hmm. it's still a mystery, so it's a diagnosis with no real yeah uh, st- st- <laughs> story, I mean, it's nice, it's nice to get, yeah something on paper and something that you can pare down and say, okay, these are the treatments that have worked for other people. Mm -hmm. But then once I, I mean, I could already eliminate a bunch of treatment plans, um, even by self-diagnosing. Um, and so I, out of the, you know, say there's 11 treatment plans, I've already eliminated nine of them by self, by self-diagnosing. And And now I can get a doctor to maybe listen to trying the other couple. Mm -hmm. And so by the when I got that diagnosis um, officially, I um, I I brought it to an OB and I said, "Let's let's do some testing." Yeah. And and then even like I had to stick up for myself and I had to say like, "I want this done." Yeah, (laughs) which is
0: hard. Like it it, it seems. Really obvious, I think. Yeah. But when yeah. you actually go to a doctor and you're like, "I've re one, I've done research. Please still uh-huh. respect me." And two, I have specific tests that I want to request. Like, uh uh-huh. huh. And me. and
1: and you're going to that person, and they're supposed to be the expert, and you're like, "But no, I'm the expert of my own body." Yeah. So it's such a weird thing to to request this of of this professional person that that in my opinion if they were doing their job right should have should have laid out for me in the first place 20 years ago
0: yeah and that's a long time to be like (laughs) hey things are really off kilter on a very predictable schedule help yeah yeah
1: yeah and um so I brought this to an OB and and she's like uh, yeah, that's really hard to test for. So why don't we I mean, I could do these tests for you, mm-hmm. which, which the tests that she offered were to see if I'm premenopausal, which I'm not. And, uh, which I knew I wasn't.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Right. Well, it hadn't just started either. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly.
1: And um and I didn't really under t- understand the test um, yeah. before I took it and I had really good health insurance at the time so I was like whatever let's just do this test. Yeah. Um and then the other one was to see if um if god I don't even I can't even it's like a cell pingnogram situation I don't know they put dye in my uterus and to see if both tubes were open okay okay which again I'm not sure why that test even took place it's really good to know in in case I ever want to birth children yeah but that was her I think that was this this doctor's perspective is like oh you have all these hormonal things going on and you might want to get pregnant someday. Uh, let's see if you can. I'm like, but I don't.
0: That's not what I'm asking.
1: That's not what I'm asking exactly. So yeah. it was, it was good to know maybe, but it didn't provide any information to my PMDD or
0: yeah, any
1: any helpful.
0: And what uh, kind of testing had you been looking for, or do you know, like, are there I, tests?
1: I wanted a hormone test that would give me a full hormone panel of what's happening Mm -hmm. through my whole month. And she said that that was
0: like to go through all the phases.
1: Yeah. (laughs) And she said that would be really difficult, which it's not. I learned because here's what happened next is I put out a message on Facebook and I was just like, you know what? I've been, I've been canceling things for, I've been canceling events like, with friends and appointments. And I've just, my, I have like only five to 10 good days a month these days. Mm -hmm. Maybe it'll help to just tell the world at once what the hell is going on with me. And, and also I believe in the strength of speaking up so that other others can feel validated as well. So I'm like, you know, I have this public presence on Facebook. I'll just do this. I, I wrote, here's what's going on with me. I have premenstrual dysphoric disorder. Um, here's my story. Basically explained in short what I just explained to you. And then um, and then this woman that I know from the midwifery community here in Minneapolis, she stepped up and she's like, come see me. I was like, I know you. And she thought... Um, that we should get to the bottom of it. Yeah. And, and I went to see her and she gave me a bunch of assessments, which feels like revolutionary, you know? Yeah. Like, whoa, someone's actually assessing me instead yeah. of being like, yeah, that's too hard. Let's just give you this. Um, so yeah. that felt super validating. Our first session together was two and a half hours because yeah. that's, not unreasonable to talk about no bizarre health stuff it takes a long
0: time to go through a full history which there usually isn't time for in the traditional system yeah yeah that's a reasonable time for sure yeah
1: uh like you and i are sitting here being like duh because we get it chronic illness is just looked over um but no but it's not standard it's not Mm -hmm. and um so I I felt really affirmed in that we she gave me assessments um she ended up okay this is and I've listened to a couple of episodes and I'm so curious as to how many people end up with this diagnosis but she ended up testing me for Lyme disease sure yep definitely (laughs) because that's like become a little bit of a catch-all Yeah.
0: Um, It's a quagmire, I would say.
1: A quagmire, yes. Um, So Lyme disease and Mm -hmm. co-infections, Spartanella. So it turns out, so, and then the two tests that they have for Lyme disease here in the States Mm -hmm. are, are crazy because they only test for a certain amount of strands and, um, and a certain, like certain levels. And, there, there's just a lot of controversy about those the western blot and the eliza tests um yeah. and so we actually sent my blood to germany i i wow. put down the money and i sent we sent it to a lab in germany that tests were more strands and i felt more comfortable about doing that than mm-hmm. than the, than the eliza western yeah um, blot and so i had i had that done and And then we talked through other symptoms that I had, like I'm tired all the time and brain fog and I'm sore and I have these, this really weird, um, neurological symptom that like half of my body, um, like I could draw a line down the middle of my body. This is the, my funnest symptom to talk about because <laughs> it's so weird. Yeah. <laughs> so entertainment value Um, I could draw a line down the center of my body and like the right side of my body works just fine. It's like, it's, it's like happy. a normal human. And then the left side of my body like is wrong. Is like crumbling. Like my, my, the muscles in between my ribs just like, collapse on me and i have um bell's palsy on the left side of my face like mm-hmm. it it actually feel my face feels like it's drooping a lot more than it actually looks like it's drooping mm-hmm. and i started to notice if that is part of my cycle too and mm. and it and it is so i don't know maybe the lime is causing my pmdd that's what my practitioner kind of thinks mm-hmm. But I don't know. Sure. I have no idea. But it is, it, hands down, I have I have Lyme. The so test
0: showed it. It came back. The Do they still do a Western blot, but like fuller spectrum, or is it a totally different? It's no, okay it's to- if the details don't make sense.
1: <laughs> it's a totally different test. It's just okay. like a different lab, a different test, yeah. and, and a, a wider range of
0: For Borrelia. Because um, there's different strands yeah. also, right? Like Lyme is Borrelia. I can never say Berg- this one either. Bergdorferi. Bergdorferi, yeah. I, I always get yeah. Bergdorf, and then I'm like, I don't know how to pronounce the end of this word. <laughs> sure. I got the emphasis wrong already. Um but there's so many other Borrelia strands too. Yeah. I know like yeah. one of one of my questions right now is that my um the screener and it's the other one, because there's the Elisa and then there's um there's Western- there's no there's West- two screeners. So like there's two different Ways that they screen with the immuno assay or something. Anyway, oh yeah, the
1: H H G A and H G. What? Oh my gosh, we're sounding. Oh, like- there's
0: there's okay. There's I G G and I G A in the Western blot, which is the different yeah. antibodies. But the way that they screen for it in the first place, ELISA is one, and then there's a second one. I think Igena has it either Igenics have a, a different oh, method yeah. or. LabCorp core has a different method it doesn't matter people listening probably half of them will already know and half <laughs> of them will be like this is nuts but for example my experience is that my screener has been consistently positive but my western blot changes uh-huh. and so my doctor's like well that's weird because there's all these other problems around false positives with lyme testing and also right. false negatives with lyme testing i'm sure you've been down this rabbit hole now but like, yes, this number is not changing while well, this number is changing and that's weird, but we don't know why.
1: Right. And, and <laughs> I mean, I've been, I've been sick and getting sicker for so long and, and dealing with a PMDD, like mm-hmm. for so long that I'm like, whatever, just, yeah. I don't care. Use me as an experiment. Like look yeah. at my lab numbers I don't care. Let's just keep trying things because I am sick of being sick. Yeah. And I'm I'm sick of having to cancel my life because yeah. it's hard. Yeah. And Lyme yeah. or not or right. you know Whatever Western it is. Blot or <laughs> yeah. Whatever. It's um yeah. So, that, so,
0: yeah. So, when were you tested for Lyme? Because that must have been within the last hmm. two years.
1: Yeah, that was last year, at, at about this time last year. Okay. Um, so, right before I was tested for Lyme, um, this practitioner that suggested that test, um, oh, going back to a piece of our conversation, she also gave me the test where you spit in the vial a couple, yeah. uh, you know, every other day that was really easy that tested my. Yeah. Full hormone panel, and I'm yeah. like, why couldn't this other doctor give it to me? I don't know. Right, and because a saliva test was...
0: is preferred for a lot of hormones compared to a blood test.
1: Yeah. Exactly, and it was it was so easy, yeah. and and you know, I just froze my little vials and sent them off to the lab, and mm-hmm. um, and it was it was insightful. Yeah, and um, because I, you know, kept a journal that month, and it's like, oh, yep again affirmed mm-hmm. that this that my luteal phase is messed up yeah um, and and then so we're probably so the Lyme test was a year ago the the hormone test was like maybe six months ago we're not ruling out other tests to see like um to see how I'm metabolizing vitamins and everything like that. Oh, and we tested for, um, Epstein-Barr virus. And there is, um, there is some research that, that suggests that Lyme and Epstein-Barr, you probably know this, that are related and that I have the, my lab showed that I was, have been exposed to, to EBV, and that's probably chronic in my life, and that's where the fatigue comes in, and mm-hmm. and all that, and yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I mean, this is this is all. Um, s- since I've gotten the Lyme diagnosis, I have been more active on like Facebook groups of of Lymeys and. Mm-hmm. I've been on PMDD groups for a while, and it's just a really common story, all mm-hmm. of this. And mm-hmm. I, I I, don't think that my story, it, yeah, I, it's, I don't think my story is very unique or anything. Um, but what I think is important that I really wanted to talk about is that even though we can predict my symptoms and how cyclical they are Mm -hmm. and um, some other people with other, other chronic illnesses can kind of predict when they're, or know what makes them flare up or can predict their symptoms. um, It's still like, it's still present even on the good days because mm-hmm. we, we're, I am just so aware of my symptoms being right around the corner
2: mm-hmm.
1: that, that I have to live my good days differently than healthy people.
0: Yeah.
1: Does that, yeah. that make sense, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. And I think like it resonates with me on a bunch of different levels because I feel like I'll get torn sometimes of like, I feel really good. So I need to do a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes doing a lot of stuff causes the next day to be worse. So on the one hand, you can trigger things. And I'm sure like that's different for everybody. But it's a common complaint. And then so sometimes I'll be like, oh, I feel really good today. I should enjoy that but also rest so that maybe I'll feel good tomorrow. It's like a weird gambling mentality about how to optimize this Completely unpredictable even if it is like like you say predictable I don't know for me at least it still is like all over the place like what will absolutely. be a good day and what won't be um,
1: absolutely absolutely
0: yeah and so so we're getting to the present so you're information gathering right now gosh so that's like a specific stage in it too because something that I'm curious about is like um the internet probably plays a really big role in this. But are there cuz you talked about like some of the medications that you've tried and had tried mm-hmm. earlier on? Are there other lifestyle interventions or what else have you experimented <gasps> with over time, kind of before yeah. and since working with this practitioner? So yeah, that
1: you're keeping me right on track. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> no, <laughs> well, cuz for,
0: <laughs> for me it ties in so much to like having enough energy to do this stuff. Because when I'm like super flared, I don't do my maintenance stuff that I'm supposed to do. And then when I feel good, I'll be like, oh, I lost half the day to all the things that I'm supposed to be doing to have more good days. Right? Yeah,
1: yeah, that's exactly speaks to that exactly speaks to the fact that even when we're healthy, we're not healthy. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And yeah, so I take right now I'm on four different antibiotics. Long term, I've been on all of them for almost a year.
0: So
1: that's for the Lyme Lyme and yeah, and and co-infections. And then um, I have to take an antihistamine every day because I have crazy allergies, like to I don't even know what. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's been a lot. I've been doing that for a long time. Um, I'm on a lot of different supplements and vitamins, um, and tinctures, yeah. which I'm really bad about taking. Cause it, <laughs> it's not just like popping a handful of pills. Um, but, um, and then I'm supposed to do all the detox stuff. That's like you said, really hard. And, and it, it feels like, I think this is partly because of our culture, but like when I take a bath, I'm actually like doing work and it and to me it feels like oh, but that's pampering. Yeah. It's not pampering though. It's like actually Yeah. This is work that I'm doing and and Yeah, so I've had a really hard time over the last year. Um, trying to one pace myself and to not look at treatment as pampering or or something Mm -hmm. yeah I don't know how to say it any better than that I guess
0: well it's like there's a I think for me what that reminds me of is like when I go through really bad fatigue phases, for example, I'll spend a lot of time in bed. Like I'll go through, Mm -hmm. you know, weeks or months where I'm napping every day. Mm
1: -hmm. And
0: especially early on when this first started happening and I would tell people about it, like friends even, like, oh, I'm having a really hard time. I can't stay awake. And first of all, you have to be like, it's not a mental health thing. This is a physical health thing. Mm -hmm. But I'm sleeping like 15 hours a day. And people are like that sounds really nice. I would love (gasps) to be able to take a nap. And you're like, no, exactly.
1: That's, that is a kicker, man. Okay. Uh,
0: The two, two things that I
1: hear, um A lot is that. Yeah, like I have had hypersomnia forever. Like I can sleep like a champ, but I never feel rested. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I didn't realize that that wasn't normal mm-hmm. for a long time. All my doctors downplayed it. And I'm like, eh, I think this is wrong, but oh, yeah. no, you don't. So that's cool. But yeah, like, oh, I would love hypersomnia instead of insomnia. I'm like, no, same result. Yeah. <laughs> like, still not except rested. For I'm lo- yeah, except for I'm losing like whatever. Yeah all this time to sleep and, um, still not rested that. And, um, and I changed my diet radically,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, when I started seeing this practitioner. Okay. And, um, so I'm now, um, I would say like 90% paleo, mm-hmm. <laughs> like anti-inflammatory protocol. And, yeah. Um, and people who say I, uh, who, who say, oh, you look great. Yeah, you, Have you lost weight? Yeah. <laughs> like, that one. Um, my friend um, my friend with um, chronic EBV told me, she, she's, she said it really well. She said, it seems like people are saying, oh, being sick looks really good on you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, great.
0: Yeah. You're working really hard. This must be the outcome that you are going for. Right. Like, no. This has nothing to do with
1: it. <laughs> exactly it's amazing mm-hmm. it's just amazing the the things that we think that society thinks health is health mm-hmm. is being fit or thin and mm-hmm. getting eight hours of sleep and feeling rested sure I don't know it's yeah. just
0: bizarre yeah it you'd like it. your whole relationship to it can really change yeah and it's yeah I mean Lyme is hard even just culturally, lime is hard. And also changing Mm -hmm. your diet is hard. Like, there's some tough, everybody has so much ingrained junk, I feel like around what we eat that one, doing it is a lot of work. And then two, having people find out that you're doing it can be a double stressor when they have opinions.
1: It's it's such a conversation. And, and like, when I want to cheat, I feel like I owe people an explanation of why I'm cheating Mm -hmm. and that that's just weird because I should just be able to we should just be able to eat what we what we want to eat and not have it be such a weird conversation yeah
0: yeah Yeah. it's bizarre yeah it's I think there's a part of it that's like oh if anybody else sees me eating whatever I'm at I'm at a point right now where like I'm I've been off sugar, like, completely for the last two or three months, but my cheat is mostly, like, sugar-free candy, which isn't good (laughs) or, like, paleo. It's definitely not a health food at all. It just doesn't have sugar in it. But I'm Uh like, okay, even stuff like that, I don't want to eat around certain people because then they're going to make assumptions. And then when I say no in the future, they're going to, like, want to push that no because having seen me push it before gives them the impression. Like, it's this whole thing. It's this whole thing.
1: right there with you yeah exactly yeah it's it's
0: weird and so if you're in you're kind of you're in the middle of a relatively new protocol so it might be hard to say but are there things that you've done either on the supplement or the lifestyle or the medication whatever any front things that you've tried that you've noticed have made a difference even though Obviously, you're not like. Well, I'm a healthy person now. I can give it all up, <laughs> right?
1: I like talking with you. You get it. <laughs> um, um, I think that changing my diet was was actually really helpful. I have a lot more energy. Mm-hmm. Um, but starting the antibiotics and all of, uh, that whole protocol mm-hmm. was really hard. It actually yeah. like it. It actually flared up all of my symptoms at yeah. once. I mean we hit it really hard. It's like a um, right out of the game. reaction probably. Oh so much herxing. Yeah. yeah. Um yeah and I don't herx uh, much anymore. I can mm-hmm. I, I can tell when I when a herx is coming. I'm like, oh that's interesting. That hasn't happened in a while. Cool. Yeah. Um yeah. and uh, the one thing so right now I'm I'm confused with my health because I think I'm the same as I was at this time last year mm-hmm. but I'm better than I was six months ago mm-hmm. like the treatment was like the start of the treatment was really crazy yeah and and really hard on my body mm-hmm. and so now I'm trying to figure out like well is it actually helping or was it just
0: like you got worse and then better than that yeah yeah
1: yeah so kind of doubting myself a little bit and it feels weird yeah um but I can say one thing is that um since that treatment I um I don't get ovulation migraines anymore I used to get um, Mm -hmm. migraines at least once a month when I ovulated Mm -hmm. and those are gone like Hmm. I got it I got a migraine last month um and that's when I realized whoa I haven't had a migraine in four months yeah and like and I didn't realize it until I yeah had one again I was like whoa this this feeling I haven't had in a while
0: yeah um it sometimes takes that
1: (laughs) yeah that's it was weird that it took that for me
0: but yeah um, but yeah it did so that Um, is a good thing for some reason yeah cool yeah i
1: guess i'm gonna keep with this protocol but i feel a little lost and Mm -hmm. and like i want to cry still yeah (laughs) a lot
0: yeah Yeah. i think it's really hard to measure progress um when Mm -hmm. everything is so nebulous basically Mm -hmm. yeah um and when it's all self-reported like this is I, I just started symptom tracking and like a little agenda that I bought myself, which is exciting because I'm a terrible symptom tracker. Um, but I'm going to a neurologist in May and I want to be able to show up and like report what's been happening over the past few months instead of like whatever seems important that day, which is usually how it feels like, right. well, what's hurting now? That's what I'll tell you about. Mm-hmm. Um. But using paper has been helpful for me, and I've tried symptom tra- a couple different symptom tracking apps. And one of the problems that I have with them is that they're almost all designed with like a spectrum, so severity, mm-hmm. basically. Yeah. So I'll be like, okay, today I have neuropathy um, on a scale from one to ten, but it's almost it's almost never measurable on a scale from one to ten. It maybe has like on off severe. I think that's mm-hmm. like the most that would make sense to me for tracking. And then I have to try to map that onto their interface. And it's like, I don't know. So if I look back a year, kind of to what you were saying, I'm like, well, a year ago, I was having neuropathy. But then it went away. So what does that mean? And like, Mm -hmm. do I remember accurately when it was happening or when it was gone? Because I probably just, like, if it wasn't severe, I didn't care. Like, there's so many things that go into self-reporting that can make it really difficult to even assess beyond is it happening or not happening like, what does improvement right. look like
1: yeah i i totally agree and then um and then there's that the aspect of tracking that said it, it just feels like feels like another thing to do it feels like a, a, a lot of work um,
0: yeah.
1: and a lot of my awareness is going a a lot more of my energy and awareness is going to my illness than I want it to be. Mm -hmm. And, and then, and then, um, you get, you know, Oh, there's this mind body connection. Uh, then if I think positive thoughts, then, you know, that will affect my health. So if I'm tracking, that's not positive thoughts. Yeah. So it just feels like, is it really worth it? Yeah. And also I think I've, I've kind of been trained from doctors over the past 20 years to that tracking doesn't even matter because nobody believed me.
0: Right. They weren't responding to it anyway.
1: Right. I was like, no, it's like clockwork people. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's it. It, Somebody did ask me the other day because something – In fact, neuropathy, my paresthesia in my arms was worse two weeks ago. And it was also, I think, the first week that I had started tracking. And someone was like, well, do you think it's really worse? Or do you think it's that you're paying more attention to it? I was like, oh, this time I'm sure that it's worse. But like that question is sticking with me now.
1: Exactly. And I I just, I feel a little bit crazy, but I, but I know I'm not. Right, right. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah,
0: that's something I'm for me, like, I I am married. And I, when we got married, I was like, pretty much I was in it. I was like, in the middle of all of this. And Mm -hmm. so regularly, I'll just be like, am I losing it? Like, am Mm -hmm. I just a lazy person now? And he'll be like, No, I can see you day to day. Like, you're not just like, Oh, today would be a fun day to hang out on the couch. (laughs) But having this (laughs) other input, which I definitely I haven't always had is like, Okay, this feels like a little bit of sanity um, because people who don't see it, if someone doesn't see it all the time, which is most people, like it doesn't, yeah. I don't know, doesn't even register or doesn't necessarily make sense.
1: Yeah, I I, am, my partner and I have been together for 10 years and mm-hmm. um, and I feel like he's my best symptom tractor. Yeah. <laughs> tractor. Yes. <laughs> uh, tracker. Perfect. Um, because, <laughs> and, and um, because, Mm -hmm. because, because he's an outside force that that, Mm. that's like, no, you're not crazy. Yeah. Um, And uh, I I think it's helped him a lot for me to have actual diagnoses, though. Mm -hmm. um, Because then, you know, he can read about them, even though I've been reading about PMDD for 20 years, he'd be like, okay, yes, it's, it's, it it is a thing and here I can learn about it. And he, you know, he's read blogs like how to deal with a partner with PMDD because a lot of people don't survive relationships with people with PMDD. Mm -hmm. It's, um, it's definitely a, it can be a, a huge burden. Mm -hmm. (laughs) it is (laughs) it's hard um and then the spoon theory have you guys talked about that on your show at all I
0: haven't talked about it very much I feel like I mean I certainly know about it and I think most Uh people I've talked to know about it so I I feel like we've referred to it but never explicitly if that makes sense
1: yeah sure but yeah we
0: can talk about it
1: (laughs) I love it I think it's just this cute story um Mm -hmm. you know if if people that are listening if you haven't heard it it's called the spoon theory it's um it's just a really quick analogy about how uh, spoons represent energy, and it's given um, my partner and I uh, a, a different language to talk about it. Like, oh, I only have two spoons today. Yeah. Okay. Great. That that's like almost a code word, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, he's like, save your spoons, or you know. And it's been really nice and um, to to have to have that language about it mm-hmm. um and like you'll see the hashtag
0: spoonie around
1: yeah. a lot yeah and I think it's just it's light and cute and yeah makes a whole lot of sense
0: yeah it makes so much sense like it's yeah. very unifying because especially on Instagram you're like yeah okay cool um I agree the language of it like is is so helpful because you just don't I, I Like, before I read that, I had tried to explain the idea to people a few times. And it was – I I mean, I still – I feel like I don't have a good diagnosis. And maybe I never will. Um, But I was, like, in the thick of getting tested for Lyme. I was positive for co-infections. I was in a moldy house and didn't know it yet. Like, mm-hmm. very sick. Trying to explain it of, like, here's the thing. When you see me, I've been banking energy. Like, and mm-hmm. trying to just explain this concept. And I don't feel like it ever fully <laughs> – resonated which also mm-hmm. I was having a ton of cognitive impairment like super brain foggy and so yeah. my ability to explain things was like not at my normal which also matters and so it's just such a good shorthand for yeah. like all right guess what I am done now or like right. I have one more activity and then I am out
1: Uh huh. yeah I yeah I, I think um yeah la- common language around anything is really important and um and in shorthand um, I I actually so I recently I'm a musician I run a music venue I that's I, I live the gig life basically
0: mm-hmm. like make my own hours um, which is probably good and also very hard sometimes
1: yeah absolutely um, and I d- recently did a project um, that I, I was uh, awarded a commission to do a work um, that illustrated life with chronic illness. So I created this 30-minute music piece all about um, my cycle. Mm-hmm. And so each of the songs represented four days of my cycle, and the goal was to represent just what it feels like. Sometimes without words, sometimes with lyrics, all that. Mm-hmm. And the spoons came into play. Like I made it, it, these instruments out of spoons. Like almost sounded like wind chimes. That <laughs> and, sounds um, excellent. And uh, and so I've been thinking a lot about language mm-hmm. and how we talk about it. And one thing I I did mention is that in the show was, was phrases like I'm tired means something totally different to mm-hmm. me and you than yeah. it does to the world. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, and I, one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you is that it just we need to talk about this stuff more so that yeah. we can find a more common language and so that we can f- find it, find a common ground with all chronic illnesses like I don't think I'm at that sick right. sometimes. Yeah. But, <laughs> and it's not a contest of who's yeah. more sick. But I I am very grateful for the abilities that i do have mm-hmm. and so with those abilities i'm gonna i'm gonna take that and and talk about this shit because
0: yeah like you that you have yeah 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 i yeah. agree and that really resonates that's like <laughs> that's i think The language thing is so, I I don't know yet, like how to kind of get around it, but that's one of the things with talking to people, like having a full hour where we can spend 10 minutes trying to explain what we mean when we say that we feel tired, (laughs) like that feels important because it just needs to be hashed out. And there's like not, there's not a lot of, um, I mean, there are a lot of people having this conversation now within chronic illness communities, I think, but there's not a lot of like media being made that is Mm -hmm. outward facing if that makes sense like
1: yeah so the I mean this is a very niche podcast you have happening but it 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 does do that it does do the work of shaping and molding and um and paring down the language that we can use in a a broader community and be Mm -hmm. be seen and heard in a more positive way instead of us being lazy or why don't we work out more or (laughs) or whatever you know yeah like the things that healthy people do to stay yeah try harder yeah that's fun that's a fun one um yeah like the things that healthy people do to stay healthy aren't gonna work Mm -hmm. to make us Mm -hmm. be healthy yeah um and everybody everybody's just so different
0: yeah yeah which is a huge part of it like I think especially with chronic Lyme, and especially with the controversy around chronic Lyme, one of the things that's so frust- frustrating when I, like, when I stumble onto people who are like, chronic Lyme isn't real, like chronically ill people mm. who are like, oh, the chronic Lyme conspiracy, all of those doctors are quacks. I mean, a big part of me feels like I am totally open to the possibility that the people who have been diagnosed with chronic Lyme, that like Borrelia isn't the problem and that actually maybe a huge part of the healthy population has been infected with borrelia and it itself does not cause a problem totally but like yes <laughs> that it doesn't matter and like coming down on the diagnosis as if people who get the diagnosis are like haha now i have an excuse to i don't know yeah. take a lot of antibiotics that are experimental and make me feel like crap like that's not what's happening it's like this intersection of chronic Lyme which people are mad about and then chronic fatigue like CFS slash ME which also is kind of idiopathic and so they like overlap in a weird way but people aren't as mad about it yeah for some reason I don't know like
1: and and oh then there's like the fibromyalgia mm -hmm. like being fake or whatever I mean every like there's there's so much of that that i mean why would yeah it just baffles me like why would people just choose to make up this stuff and i mean sure there might be like a very small percentage of sick people that are that are i don't know doing it for attention or whatever but Mm -hmm. that percentage is probably like
0: and most you know, people like yeah. Why, people aren't why would want to be sick? Yeah, yeah, yeah. uh huh. Yeah.
1: Exactly. Ooh. Yeah, you don't. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yes. So that's all tied up in there too. Um, and sorry, I'm getting a little bit dark. I'm not near a light switch, so. Oh, it's okay. <laughs> <Just> slowly <laughs> I dimming. Fine. I've realized. Um, fine. Yes, there's. I feel like there's a lot of for me definitely like emotional fraughtness about trying to like navigate this stuff. And then also present it to other people um, yeah. as an added layer.
1: So I think going back to the language of it all, I think that um, there's some important work to be done of creating some common language that's easy for healthy folks to understand that doesn't separate all of our diagnoses because, mm-hmm. yeah, Lyme, chronic Lyme, who knows? We really don't know a whole lot about yeah. Lyme at all. Um, and it's, and yeah. And we're gonna find, yeah, we're gonna find out so much more in the next twenty years. But mm-hmm. we don't know, and and we don't know a lot about MS or fibromyalgia either, or in, any of those diagnoses that people are looking at us going, really, yeah, really, are you really, yeah, <laughs> De- dealing with that? But so creating a common language that we can talk about, um, no matter what our diagnosis is. Um, and I think the closest we've gotten is the spoony thing, Yeah. you know, the spoon theory, go read the spoon theory. It's going to make sense to you. And that's, that's about a woman with lupus, you know? Um, but, but if we can do that work and present that to healthy folks, I think, I think we'll, we'll gain a better understanding Mm -hmm. um, of how we live our lives.
0: Yeah. And creating empathy. Um, that does make me think of something that I've been like wonder it's come up a couple times, but as you've been navigating this, so not even just the last year or the last two years, but mm-hmm. the last 20 years, maybe um, how has it impacted like your relationships and also your ability to work? So, cause you kind of mentioned that, but like those are the two main things that can be very difficult when your health is unpredictable or your body is unpredictable.
1: Yeah. I think I, I think I lost, um, some friends and I lost, um, m- I-, I think I lost my ex to PMDD. Mm-hmm. Um, I like, once I got the diagnosis, I like called her up and be like, I, I got the diagnosis. I'm really sorry. Yeah. It's real. <laughs> and she's like, I know, honey, it's okay. I mean, yeah. we-, we had yeah problems beyond that, but, um, but it did not help that I would turn into a raging lunatic once a month. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wasn't self aware enough to say, okay, no, my body's working against me. I should mm-hmm. just be quiet right now. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: have, so is that something that's that specific thing as a coping mechanism, something that you have developed or that has started to work? <laughs> like, are you able to do that to say, okay, I know where I am in my cycle? These thoughts or feelings might be impacted. I understand that that's not possible, but since you mentioned it, I'm curious.
1: (laughs) It's really, really hard work. Yeah. Um, But that's definitely something uh, that I try to do. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, my current partner is really good at saying like, "Um, where are you at in your cycle? Because maybe we shouldn't be talking about this until next week or the week after or whatever
2: mm-hmm.
1: um and actually so i run a i run a music venue a nonprofit. so um and i work with really closely with one other person and and he's always aware of where i am in the in my cycle too and mm-hmm. so so i call on other people to help me yeah with that awareness that's mm-hmm. that that like yeah maybe you shouldn't be taking on this project right now Maybe, mm-hmm. you know. Maybe I'll share the workload a little bit for this week. Um, well, until until you bleed, yeah. <laughs> basically. Yeah. Um, which, it which is funny. It's like, yeah, having my issues mostly be really relate, being related to my cycle, and that's something we don't talk about either. Menstruation and yeah. and and cycling is just like a faux pas still mm-hmm. like what's that about yeah um is is weird but yeah. to be able to talk about it with the people that I am closest with mm-hmm. so um my my two step kids know as well and mm-hmm. and I I don't put the burden on them to help me figure out where I am in my cycle but they they know so that you know their dad can say to them uh she's
0: PMSing yeah, messing
1: or whatever. Something else is happening. Yeah, duck
0: and cover, people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, which would also yeah. be difficult, I would think. Just in the con, like in the context of the culture, you're totally right. We don't talk about this very much, mm-hmm. and we're like discouraged from bringing it up. But then the like flip side of that is there's like sitcom jokes or whatever that are like, oh, she must be on her period, which are like. Pretty sexist and derisive, yep. And so, finding somewhere in between where it's like, oh no, it's real. Because even for me, I'm like, oh no, it's real, I am impacted by my cycle like pretty aggressively,
2: Mm
0: -hmm. and it doesn't make me whatever sick like 90s sitcoms suggest. So, I'm sure that, yep, that's yeah, is in there.
1: This goes yeah back to the oh you've lost weight (laughs) comment I mean everything is is, if we just take a step back and just be like no everybody's complicated it's going to be fine Mm -hmm. and and believe people and not crack stupid jokes I mean yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) I'm not lazy I'm not crazy (laughs) yeah yeah Um, but I think it and I think it's important to keep talking about this stuff for younger people too is Mm -hmm. is that it took me 20 years or
0: yeah just about
1: just just to say I'm not lazy I'm not crazy
0: right (laughs) yeah
1: and so you were you were asking about work I don't want to stray too far away from that question because I I've I've been thinking a lot about that lately um and and listening to your podcast and Mm -hmm. hearing what other people do and um and I don't think I could hold down a real job mm-hmm. right now. I don't think that I could work for someone else and and be uh, tolerated. Um, I think it's... I, I, when I worked for other people before, I, I was always a touring musician, and, I, um, and then I would hold seasonal jobs and then go on tour again and seasonal mm-hmm. jobs. And mm-hmm. any time I worked for someone else, I would call in sick to work Two days a month,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: that even started in college. Like I planned my my absent days around my period. Yeah, um, like I wouldn't show up to class, and I and I knew that I would need those days, mm-hmm. and I and never. I never asked any employers and I never asked any professors if I could have this time, you know, uh, for accommodations. Now that I know myself well enough and I have the confidence to say I'm not lazy or crazy, I could ask for accommodations. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: But I also feel like I've gotten so much worse over the years that I won't, I don't want to get a job working for someone else and say, look, I have this going on just cause it makes me, it would make me feel so vulnerable Yeah. and, and like, l- like my job would constantly be at risk. Yeah. Um, because I, I couldn't show up mm-hmm. all the time. So I, it's important that I have my own hours. It's important that I can work, um, you know, a few hours in the morning, take a big long nap and then a few hours in the evening. Mm-hmm. Um, it's important that my coworkers and kind of know where I am in my cycle. Yeah. Um, And that you're in an
0: environment where that feels comfortable. Yeah. To talk about, yeah.
1: Yeah, I couldn't imagine working for a company and being like, I'm I'm about to get my period. (laughs) Yeah. It's just... Hello? Yeah, that's just weird. Yeah. Because we don't talk about it. Yeah. It shouldn't be weird. <laughs> but I, it is. But it
0: is. I, like, for quite a while, for almost five years, I worked for a very small company where, like, me and my boss were the only full-time employees. And he was a dude who was, um, I think, like, five or six years older than me. And, mm-hmm. like, I, so I get one day of debilitating cramps usually. And it was exactly mm-hmm. that, where I'm like, I can't call him and tell him that's what's going on. Like, I just... I don't, we don't have a relationship that will, like, survive that kind of honesty, which, sure, some of that is me and in my head to get over, but, like, there's no HR to go to.
1: Right, exactly, and I mean, it shouldn't, it shouldn't be a, it shouldn't be that big of a deal in our society, but it is, it's Mm -hmm. just the circumstances that we're dealing with, you know, it's like, Mm -hmm. we should be able to talk about periods (laughs) more, and, and it and again it's like I'm I'm old enough now and I know myself well enough now that I I wouldn't have trouble going Mm -hmm. to someone and saying look this This is is, what it is yeah but I I still feel the the societal pressure of yeah that's not a really sustainable conversation yeah
0: yeah Yeah. it's just hard Mm mm-hmm yeah absolutely yeah um Great. <laughs> great.
1: <laughs> great. Let's talk about these awful things. <laughs> yeah.
0: That's what I'm up to. It's good though. It's good work. Yeah, no, I think I think it's great, but just many many of these conversations are tough, but like for a reason, because this stuff no one I also think one of the difficulties with any kind of chronic illness and asking for accommodations can feel the same way. And I'm going to turn the light on in a second because it's gotten very dark. But um, (laughs) uh, asking for accommodations can feel the same way is it's like there's a fear that may or may not be justified that the people that we're talking to are going to think that we're asking for pity maybe or asking for something. And with accommodations, we are asking for something. But like yeah, it triggers the like knee-jerk response of like this person's asking me for something i can't just listen and be empathetic and be like yeah sometimes things suck because or then i'm responsible
1: or or the fear of saying like oh Oh. is this going to become a trend yeah um like oh yeah yeah, this is going to become a trend i've been dealing with this trend for 20 years so i think we can deal
0: with it every 28 day trend yeah
1: yeah exactly so you as my employer or my coworker or whatever mm-hmm. you can, you, I believe that you can deal with it too. It's yeah. not too much to ask, but the fear of thinking it's too much to ask or the fear of being a burden on someone yeah. else is, is a, 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 almost
0: daily concern.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: But yes, there is a fear of being a burden. Um, something for some reason it's like been in my internet sphere a lot lately is people talking about asking for accommodations with chronic illness so one of them was a twitter thread by matthew Cortland, i think who if, if he whether or not you follow him he's like uh he is a lawyer and i think he has ibd um and so he like there was a long thread about trying to get accommodations while in law school and how distrustful everybody was because Mm -hmm. one of his conditions and somebody that i interviewed was the same they were just like i need a bathroom a lot like i need to be able to go to the bathroom often and for unpredictable amounts of time and that professor's reaction is like no you're just trying to get out there and whatever i don't know skip class check your phone more like i i don't know what they think um and then Liz, who I think I talked to in episode five, I want to say, who's also a lawyer, that's why these lawyers talking about accommodation issues, she just um, has started talking about a lot more and she was using the term immunodiverse, which I actually really like as a way of just saying like people with autoimmunity, people with all of these different chronic conditions that are like unpredictable, have Mm -hmm. very different accommodation needs than people who are um, like Predictably physically disabled, I'll say. Yeah. So if you need uh, it... a ramp, great. But if you need to be able to miss class or miss work on an unpredictable schedule, like what what are the systems that we build for that? And so she just wrote a thing that was like asking for accommodations with a chronic illness. And it covers some of this. Like, yeah, some people are going to think that you are trying to take advantage of them. And that sucks. <laughs>
1: Uh, yeah and what was the word that that she used immunodiverse yeah that's awesome and that's that's collecting all of us Mm -hmm. in in one pot yeah to to make a a common language
0: yeah i really Um, i like like that a lot yeah Yeah. it's a good term so you can you can i think if you look for it i think she's the only person using it right now so if you google immunodiversity you'll probably find her like medium posts about it i think she posts them on the mighty too but her writing about it anyway Of like, let's start using this term so that we can come together and like talk about what it all looks like. Excellent. Yes. Um, (laughs) Great. So (laughs) to say that again, um, we've covered lots of things. Is there anything that is in your brain that has come up like while you've been listening or while we've been talking or whatever that you wanted to get out there? It's okay if no. Um.
1: As I it was as I was talking about like the diagnosis portion of this, um, and a lot of things that I hear from from the PMDD community, especially
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, and other chronic illnesses, um, people with other chronic illnesses, um, I think that there is power in self-diagnosis, and and if you believe that you have something and should be taken seriously, fighting f- to be taken seriously is is worth it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, <laughs> it's funny that I say it's worth it right now because I'm still like, oh, is it? Because I am still experimenting on myself, basically, right. um, with all these treatments and whatnot. Um, but I, I think it is. I mean, if you, you're striving for for relief and um and while you're while you're working towards being taken seriously by medical professionals you're also taking that time and learning more about your body and how you live and what you what you do and you you're your own caretaker Mm -hmm. um and and just hold on to your beliefs you know I would like to be able to hold a person's hand and be like, yes, believe, believe yourself and let's get you help. Um, yeah. you know, if, if I was, <laughs> if I was healthy again, yeah, I would love to do that work for people because I think there's a lot of people that just give up and mm-hmm. say, say no one will believe me or I'm not getting relief any, anyways,
0: I, whatever. I'll just.
1: Mm -hmm. stay sick and die but I just want people to hang on to hope yeah until
0: yeah like if your body if something feels wrong once you realize that compared to other people like it probably is and it depends you might not be able to identify the details of it with something like autoimmunity like you probably won't be able to be like "Mm, my thyroid specifically is very upset today (laughs) but like fatigue is real and not everybody feels that way Or Mm -hmm. brain fog. Not everybody feels that. And once you start to like notice that, believing believing that it's true and holding on to that for yourself, I totally agree. Um, Have you ever watched the show Crazy Ex-Girlfriend? Yes, I love it. (laughs) Okay, because while you were talking about it way way earlier, and then again now, Mm -hmm. I I thought of the diagnosis song because she gets diagnosed with B by um. Not bipolar. She gets diagnosed with borderline personality. Borderline, disorder. yeah. Yeah. And like as soon as she gets diagnosed, there's a diagnosis song that's like how happy she is to have a diagnosis. And it was I remember. Yeah, it's like that exact moment, which everybody should it's probably on YouTube. But like just look up that moment because you're like, Oh yes, that's it. Like, even if it doesn't fix the problem, it gives it this legitimacy and it gives me a new lens for like thinking of my body and my mental health as something that I can take care of. Like it totally shifts, even when it's not like curable.
1: We'll exactly. Say. Yeah. Yeah, and just uh, just being your own advocate to get your diagnosis taken seriously is mm-hmm. is is important work that's worth it. Mm-hmm. That's uh, the Crazy Ex-Girlfriend is awesome too. <laughs> yeah. Also, just a
0: delightful show.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, that made me think of something. Oh, I wish this. <laughs> whole conversation was taking place on a better day in my cycle because I am so exhausted today. And so, uh, like brain foggy. And, and, um, so it's, it's kind of ironic that it's taking place right now. Um, I feel like I'm going to listen back and be like, Oh,
0: Brianna. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. It's just one of the things. It's just one of the things of talking about your health and committing to a time even if you can't predict how you will feel yeah, yeah. that's a part so of it goes. yeah well thank you for taking the time to talk to me and for sharing it even if today is a fatiggy day <laughs> fatiggy I-, I like that yeah, word <laughs> it's a real word for sure yeah
1: yeah um I I have a in Instagram too that I talk more about this I'm trying to get more active and 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 being outward um, mm-hmm. about PMDD and chronic illness in general. Yeah. And, um, it's awareness or uh, actually it's Instagram is Brianna lane dot awareness month. Okay. Oh my gosh. It might be awareness Brianna lane. <laughs>
0: okay. Well, when I actually like post it, cause I will eventually share it on Instagram. I will uh-huh. tag you if you want to be tagged. Okay, which sounds it sounds good. like yes. So, yeah. So we could do that and people can search for you. Instagram has a pretty good search algorithm, but you yeah. will be tagged eventually. Um, on the Instagram post for it too. Excellent. So you're findable. <laughs> Thank you for listening to episode 21 of No End Insight. You can find the Instagram account that Brianna was talking about at Lane. You can find this show on Instagram at Pod, And you can find me on both Instagram and Twitter at B. In the next episode, I'll be talking to my first European guest about Graves' disease and the autoimmune protocol, so make sure you subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget that I have a small Facebook group called Chronic Hustlers for people living with chronic conditions who are self-employed. It's pretty small right now, but I'd love it to eventually become a place where we share resources about building a business while prioritizing our health. And finally, this podcast is supported by my cross-stitch company, Digital Artisanal. When I'm up for it, I make simple modern patterns that you'll actually want to hang in your home. I love to cross-stitch as a way to feel productive during flares when I'm stranded in front of the television. And I've been working on winter patterns, but I guess it's time to switch it up a little bit. So uh, we'll see what happens. I'd love it if you checked us out at digitalartisanal.com. Thanks for listening.